collectively we need to think about how we can positively affirm people who struggle so that they know what they're going through is a natural process that yeah. they get support for. Welcome everybody to Project Doing Good, the podcast, where we highlight people doing good in their communities and help connect their projects with resources and organizations. I'm Cameron, and today we're going to do something a little bit different, but just wanted to remind you that if you enjoy this episode or any of our episodes so far, please go over to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and give us a five-star rating review. We'd really appreciate it. Um, You can always comment and let us know what you'd like to hear as well. So this is a good health edition of the podcast where I interview various people doing good in the healthcare field. And I'm a certified nutrition consultant, studied holistic health at San Francisco State, then underwent a holistic nutrition consultant program at Bowman College over there in Berkeley. And I've seen hundreds of clients over the last few years before starting to work at Project Doing Good. And the purpose of this episode is to educate and to inform. It's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor, otherwise qualified medical professionals. This podcast episode is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. So with that out the way, let's jump into the episode. I'm going to tell you a bit about my health story and how it relates to mental health and the challenges that I had to face with that. And I'm also using part of my interview with Leon Zeitz, who works for Cities Rise, an amazing organization that's transforming global mental health policy and practice that we highlighted in episode 16. So prior to joining Cities Rise, Leon worked with therapeutic programs for struggling youth in 15 states in the U.S. to identify pathways for young people to play a greater role in their own healthcare and the development of mental health programs. He's also worked internationally on areas such as suicide prevention, post-traumatic stress disorder, and substance abuse in Bhutan, Indonesia, and Zambia. He frequently speaks at national and international conferences about student experiences in therapeutic programs, trauma-focused community development, and pathways to successful transitions in life. Leon earned a BA from Quest University in Canada, where he focused on public health and international development, and a certificate for leadership in mental health from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. If he isn't dreaming big about playing his part in solving the world's most pressing challenges, Leon can most likely be found playing outside or climbing mountain peaks. So I'm going to be referring back to the interview that I had with Leon and give you some information about mental health as well, and I hope you find it very interesting and informative and helpful for you. There is no health without mental health, and that was said by The Lancet in their Global Mental Health series in 2007 and again in 2011, which I'll be referring to throughout this podcast, and essentially what they do in that is just bring up the current evidence base of where mental health is at globally and what needs to change to address those issues. And I'll be talking a little bit about that. But first, just to let you guys know my story, I had digestive issues as early as I can recall, constipated as a kid, but I was really energetic. You know, from the time I could run, I was running laps around my house constantly until I was like 10 or so. But in fifth grade, my sister got a rare form of meningitis. It's really bad. They put me on a lot of antibiotics. Shortly after that, my grades started dropping, motivation, a lot of things started changing, energy levels. By seventh grade, I was experiencing such depressive states that I was often contemplating suicide. And this was followed by what may sound like a normal teenage high school experience, you know, experimenting with various drugs and alcohol. But it was far from 
normal. I was drinking the whole bottle of whatever was in front of me until I blacked out. I was smoking until I couldn't talk. Really, it was just self-medicating. Um, it wasn't until I was 20 years old that I was actually diagnosed with a type of depression and generalized anxiety disorder after I mistook an anxiety attack that I had for a heart attack. And I ended up going to therapy, which helped a ton. But there was more to the puzzle than I was aware of at the time. And the puzzle of my health is still not completely pieced together for me. While I was going to school to become certified in nutrition, when I was 27, I got a nasty infection, which led to inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD. This made me very sick, and I also noticed that my mental health symptoms were heightened more than they had been in the last, you know, seven years up until that point. And as I studied and dove into the research, skipped ahead in my textbook a lot, I learned that the brain is connected to the body. And that's when I realized that the antibiotics I took, you know, really affected my microbiome, the bacteria living in my gut. And that disrupted my balance of beneficial bacteria like lactobacillus and bifido species. Those are some of the most studied group of strains of bacteria. And after testing, it revealed that I had no traceable amounts of either of those. And that's kind of a big deal because there's a lot of health benefits that come from those, uh, not to mention their role in helping with depression. So I started trying to heal my body and I'm still still on that journey, but I've definitely seen a lot of improvements. But mental health is something that's often misunderstood and and really stigmatized. And I wanted to kind of just define for all of you what the problem is and then also you know just explain a little bit of the science or the uh, explain also the, I guess the false information that is out there on mental health according to the lancet and their global mental health series neuropsychiatric disorders make up 14 percent of the global disease related burden and disability with depression being the leading global cause of disability according to the world health organization depression is currently the fourth leading cause of the global burden of disease it is predicted that depression will be ranked second by 2020, saying it affects up to 20% of the population at some stage of their lives. Globally, more than 300 million people of all ages suffer from depression. And in the U.S., approximately 3.4% of people with major depression die by suicide, and up to 60% of people who die by suicide suffered from depression or another mood disorder. Close to 800,000 people die due to suicide every year. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in 15 to 29-year-olds as well. So this is clearly a problem affecting so many people, but what can we do about it? Part of what you can do is educate yourself on how to help, and just to break down some basic physiology for us, that will hopefully dispel some of the myths around mental health. And one of the big myths that exist is that there's a chemical imbalance in the brain. And to quote, Joseph Coyle of Harvard Medical School, he said, chemical imbalance is sort of last century thinking. It's much more complicated than that. And so no studies have actually established a cause and effect relation between low serotonin and mental health. Serotonin is known as the feel-good neurotransmitter. Now, there's plenty of correlating effects and contributors that have been recognized, but causation is another thing. Some of these are brain and body inflammation, and the gut-brain connection, which has been discovered in recent years, and we are continuing to learn the interplay of connections and chemicals and vital nutrients between our brain and our gut, where most of our immune system is housed with 
an estimated 100 trillion bacteria, and that's about one to two pounds of bacteria living in your gut. And there's a strong amount of research and evidence showing the connection with these microbes and our mood and behavior. There's usually never one thing in our body that's causing some illness, but rather the whole body must be addressed, the whole person must be addressed to see what's really going on. We can't separate the brain from the rest of the body. It's all connected. So we actually have to think about mental illness and mental health problems as just what they are, an illness that's complicated, that needs to be treated accordingly, and is individualized based on that person. So now you have a little bit of information on mental health. Now we got to be able to help people with it. And I think that's where understanding and communicating effectively is important. So this is Leon talking about how important communication is on a family level and a community level. You want to have both the awareness and like the literacy around mental health. So an understanding of how these things work, you know, based on our current understanding right. of it. But it. The, but then what it needs to be paired with is right. actually good communication skills so that, for example, when a child comes and tells their parent that they're having a mental health problem, the parent knows how to communicate the right response that that actually supports that kid's mental health. No, you know, And so the parent just being armed with the knowledge of, say, how depression works or how suicidal right. thinking works doesn't always lead to them being effective communicators, I guess is the main thing. And that needs to be there because if you can't have that like strong level of communication it's really hard even if people know what's up to get to start working together better um i actually work directly with families in the u.s that were struggling as like kind of um i supported them through therapeutic transitions that their kids were going through and one of the groups that has a lot of good resources that i like to point people to is they're called the arbinger institute and they have a few books like called Leadership and Self-Deception and The Anatomy of Peace and different things like that that are like definitely recommended readings that I would give families who are struggling. Um, and But what a lot of this is is that there's a lot of exercises around listening and, you know, for example, just um, deep listening is the practice of, you know, making sure that the person knows that you've heard what they said. So just right. the actual act of repeating when someone says something to just clarify that you heard it right, you know? So for example, if when you had gone to your mom and said, hey, you know, I am I have suicidal thinking, and then she, you know, responded back, hey, I, I think I just heard you tell me that, you know, you're having suicidal thoughts. Is that right? You know, let me make sure that I'm letting you know that I heard exactly what you right. said. Um, and not and not you know switching the subject. So th there's very actually very incremental things that we can all do in our conversations that I think are common you know best listening practices that most people actually don't know about. So you know I could I could send you after this call, but I I'm sure you know about a lot of them too in terms of just right. like you know a asking guiding questions or, or the the very simple things that people can be doing to improve their conversations. One of the things we really have to do in order to help our community, the people in our lives struggling with mental health challenges, is to really stamp out the stigma. And stigma of mental illness is defined as a negative attitude based on prejudice or misinformation. The presence of stigma starts a vicious circle that leads to discrimination in all walks of life. 
It makes people feel bad about what they have, makes them not want to talk about it, messes with their self-confidence, and it results in that person's mental illness getting worse, the effect and the treatment of that illness um, not being taken care of in the way it should. Stigma is known and recognized by the World Health Organization, who's highlighted the need to combat stigma and to foresee appropriate measures in national mental health policies. The European Union's gotten behind it with a recent consultation about mental health promotion, identifying the fight against stigma as an important area of work in Europe. So this is a big deal, and the major health organizations are aware of this, so it's something that we should also get behind and be aware of and help fight against. Next, Leon talks about the stigma and other problems related to mental health and what we can do about them. So I, I was at a talk uh, the other week by this guy named Nick Allen, who's a researcher at the University of Oregon, and he he does a lot of work at the intersection of uh, new technology and, and young people's mental health. So he's looking like a lot at the impacts of social media and different things like that. But right. one of the parts of his talk, and he's like an evolutionary psychologist, and you know, he was really saying that you know. When we're young, we're going through this process of formulating how we're going to be in the world. And we're experimenting and we're testing things. And it's that trial and error that teaches us the lessons that later on actually, you know, formulate who we are, our value system, all of these things. And I think it's interesting that, you know, certain kids go through that evolutionary process to figure out their place in the world in different ways. And in society, when kids take a route that isn't necessarily traditional, or if they're not like going with the current of things, they're seen as like not okay, or less successful or different things like that. Where in reality, it's actually just their natural evolutionary process of figuring out how they're going to be in the world. And maybe the, right. the, the system that they were currently in didn't fit right. And so they've had to take like an alternative route. So I do think there's a, a, a shift we need to make in terms of how we look at young people who are struggling. Yeah. And really at a very like societal level – you know, take these things out about like, you know, problem children or at-risk youth or um, a lot a lot of things that become very internally deep narratives for a lot right. of these kids that, you know, in school when they start getting told who they are, um, it, you know, they, they start to fulfill that narrative a lot. And right. so I think it, it's really collectively we need to think about how we can positively affirm people who struggle so that they know what they're going through is a natural process that they get support for and it doesn't it's not this thing that we want to isolate them and kick them out but that's how most people feel when they're different or if they're struggling or if if you're having suicidal thoughts or if you're depressed or if you have severe anxiety you feel like you're an odd one out from society and then the community often tells you that you're wrong or you're not right to be having these feelings. And so I think, right. you know, we need, we need to look at people's early challenges with mental health as somewhat natural and okay. And, and that, and, and, you know, and they need to feel that they're supported with going through that, you know, so that that's like a big, very high level thing. Right. Then I think that most families and parents, when they have a kid who's struggling, don't know what to do. So I do think there's like 
a huge need for people to be way more aware of all of the work that's going on out there in this space. Because there's mm-hmm. like within every city with all across the US, it's often restricted to a very privileged group of people. But there are so many different types of programs and opportunities that people are trying to figure it out for what can help young people. But I just encounter so many parents that, you know, they've been beating against their head against the wall. They don't know what to do. They've tried therapy. They tried different things and their kid isn't getting better. And they feel like they're at a loss of what's actually out there. And so there needs to be a much better effort to collect and make people aware of all of the work that's happening so that they have options for when someone's struggling to try different things, you know, because we know, we know there's no one size fits all solution. So people need just as many options as possible and they need the liberty to be able to experiment within those. Um, and that's not where we're at today. You know, that, that's the direction I think we want to go. Next we talk about with modern medicine, people with mental health problems, typically are not receiving the level of care that they need. According to the World Health Organization, in low and middle income countries, between 76% and 85% of people with mental disorders receive no treatment for their disorder. And in high income countries, even between 35% and 50% of people with mental disorders are in the same situation. They also go on to talk about the quality of care is not there for people to receive proper treatment and the support from healthcare services that people with mental illness require are not provided. And this is a big issue that needs to change. Here's Leon with more on that. And the way the field of psychiatry and psychology have changed, you know, over the last 10 years, we've learned more about the brain than we figured out in all of history. Right. You know, so people that were trained in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, they're a bit outdated. And if they're not making an extreme effort to figure out what's the current way we're knowing about how to go these things, they're going to be using and regurgitating a lot of practices that, you know, don't really um, fall in line with what we know works best today. Right. So I think that there needs to be you know, a new type of incentive system to motivate practitioners that have been in the field for a long time to get reacquainted and to tap into the the most current thinking on these issues. Um, the other thing is that, you know, I think because it, and it's very, it looks differently in other parts of the world, but you know, on average, the, you know, one in every six American is going to take psychotropic drugs in their lifetime. Um, I think it's like, you know, a 10 to 20 percent of uh, adults in the U.S. are on some form of antidepressant. And, you know, I I, I actually was talking to a, a young guy I mentor and he, he he's one who struggles very much. And, you know, he's one that like knows exactly what he needs to say when he goes to a doctor to get a medication. Right. Um, so he went to a doctor and like he comes out of it with like with these antidepressants and it's fine and I'm not anti psychotropic drugs in any way, but I do think there's a, like a massive injustice and a very broken system for how they're administered right now. Um, it, you know, it's just like when we live in a system that simplifies things to, if I say X, Y, and Z, then you're going to give me this drug rather than a professional looking at, you know, what's really going on with this human. Um, you you fall into kind of negligence, I think. I think there's a lot of that in the mental health field, honestly. 
um, where where people take easy solutions, they fill out their scripts, they um, people know what to say to get away from the doctor. Um, I also think that on a flip side, one of some of the exciting things that are going on is that we because of the heavy stigma around mental health in society, we know that people are less likely to go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or to tell their coworkers or to different people like that. So there's actually a huge movement right now to put psychiatrists and psychologists in primary health uh, medical like doctor's offices. So then people could just say, hey, I'm going to the doctor. Because you know it, it's totally normal to say I have a doctor's appointment. But saying you have an appointment with your psychiatrist it can be like a very scary thing to do where, where people react very differently. Oh, like, you know, what are you going to talk about or what is this? So there's right. a lot of movements to try and integrate mental health practice into primary care so that it's more easy for people to go and seek help because right now, you know, just going to your psychiatrist's office can be quite stigmatized in many communities. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, and that's definitely a step forward in the right direction. I yeah. think, um, but yeah, the, it, it is kind of frustrating to see because even I think everything you said was true. But then, you know, some of the doctors, it's like the way that the hospital is set up or the psychiatrists, you know, they're they have time to see you for 10 minutes. And even if they exhausted that whole 10 minutes to ask you about, you know, to really tease out like where what is really going on. I don't even think they could do that in 10 minutes, but in most of the visits, not even uh, tailored for that because they don't have the time and so it, it is to prescribe or to kind of see what the symptoms are and how can I treat that with what drug um yeah it's also just this whole system um and I know that's just the the case for you know all these well-meaning individuals like I think anybody that chooses to go into psychiatry or chooses to you know be a doctor or any kind of healthcare uh, provider you know it's it's a it's a noble profession but I don't think they knew what they were necessarily getting into that they'd only they'd be seeing, you know, 100 people a day. How are they going to provide the level of care? And so it, it can be saddening. It's just interesting how many facets of, of that would need to change. And so I think that's it's awesome what you guys are doing. Either way, it's an improvement, whether you can't maybe you can't change the whole medical system overnight or whatever. But I think bringing like you said, making people aware of all the resources available to them and even just putting those in one place and having this network of people that are trying to solve it and are trying to help. Because, yeah, maybe this hospital isn't, but maybe that hospital over here is. And there's doctors there that do that. And then if people are aware of that, you know, maybe that can become the norm and then people are getting more helped. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there's dominating forces that create hegemonies for certain practices. Um, especially in the psychiatric and mental health community. And that's also why, especially for mental health, which is different than a lot of physical health, right. it's so critical that we look at our community and think about what needs to be in place in the actual settings that people spend their day-to-day -day that can help support right. their mental health. And that's actually where we know we can do a lot that not much is going on right now. Got it. And all, and there's a lot of evidence in existence that says that if you, for example, train people in the community in mental health first aid, if you 
um, support a network of people that know how to identify issues and then make referrals to people within their community, a lot of dramatic things can happen where you don't need to be a trained mental health professional to really improve the mental health of, some, of your neighbor or your friend or your, uh, sp- your sports teammate, whatever it is. Right. And so that actually for me is what is more promising than, you know, advances in neuroscience. Yeah. I, you know, I think we can change the way our communities work to be able to support each other much faster than we're going to figure out what's going on in the brain. And so it may not be like the end all solution, but we can totally flip the way people interact with their environments and the influences on their mental health. And, you know, a lot of it's about feeling safe and feeling okay to be ill or sick or not okay, um, to then actually start getting help and making changes. Um, When people feel like they have to hide their illness, they're spending so much energy hiding everything that their actual ability to heal becomes so low. And so if we lived in a place where it was okay to be experiencing these issues and that it was safe to go through a healing process, that's like when there's those moments, that's when I've seen people actually make transformations that lead to them living the life they want to live. And that's at the end of the day what you want for people is that you know they have potential and dreams that – these illnesses stop them from realizing, and that's not okay. Um, and when you look at the community, the community has a huge role in how they can help that. Right. I, I think you're completely right because the supply doesn't even meet the demand as far as, like, let's say the whole yeah. medical model or like all the doctors did know what was going on. Well, there's not even enough doctors to go around to solve the problem <laughs> that is there. And like you said, I think community. Is completely important and, and people can be empowered to help, you know, themselves and yeah, people in their community, their neighbors, their family. I hope you all enjoyed this episode today. And lastly, just a few resources to check out that we discussed at different points during this episode. Mental Health First Aid is an eight hour course that teaches you how to identify, understand and respond to signs of mental illnesses and substance use disorders. The training gives you the skills you need to reach out and provide initial help and support to someone who may be developing a mental health or substance use problem or experiencing a crisis. And also go ahead and check out the Lancet series on global mental health. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes. That'd be great. We also have an amazing website. So visit us at projectdoinggood.com where you can hear about the latest projects we're supporting. Keep doing good, y'all.